Hi, and welcome to the Chainsaw Carving Podcast. In this episode, we're going to talk to Ryan Anderson from Sculptures in Motion and Reedsport, Oregon. And Ryan's going to talk with us a little bit about all of the traveling that he's been doing to different events and competitions. And then we're also going to talk about where Ryan pulls inspiration from and how he's developing his own style as an artist. All right. Welcome, Ryan. Hi, how are you? Good. How have you been? Busy and uh, I'm home for a brief period of time, so I'm uh, enjoying some time off. Good. Yeah, I've been kind of seeing you travel all over the place. That's actually the first question I wanted to ask you. Uh, where have you been lately? Like what competitions or events have you been to? Uh, you know, this year's kind of been full of uh, different new or some newer, newer events. Um, of course, my, my typical like Reedsport, Ocean Shores, Cedar Woolley, um, and the Mackenzie Blue River event. Um, but uh, this year, it started out really early in the year by going to Texas in January. And that was uh, actually for Makita, um, going and checking out the facility over there. And then, uh, then I had a show that started right in February. Uh, events for like logging conferences and then from there I had my first competition in March uh, in Wairika, California and then from there it's just been the fairly typical ones but lately I've been in I just actually just got back from Albuquerque, New Mexico the uh, the Balloon Fiesta competition so oh, yeah. that was a phenomenal time I got to take my boy with me and he was completely on cloud nine and totally on overload mode um so I've just wrapped that one up, and I'm currently getting ready to head out to Illinois. Um, actually, I'll be carving with Chris Hubbard, um, who I met this year. And so I'll be at his shop. I fly out on the 30th, and then him and I were doing a couple of shows together. We'll be going from his place to Great Georgia for the Chaptacular. And then we have an event that we are doing in Southern Pines, North Carolina, uh, for a brewery. Uh, and that'll wrap up this year. That'll wrap up my competitions and events. And then um, I've already kind of started planning for next year. Um, like my June and July is already pretty much booked. But uh, sure, just, that's intense. That's a that's a busy schedule. It's it's been it's been pretty busy this year. It's uh, it's lasted a lot longer than normally. Um, normally, my last event that I do is about the beginning of October. Um, and then I look forward to you know having the rest of October, November, and December to just kind of unwind, um, kind of do my brief little hibernation period, I guess you could call it, um, and then start gearing up and planning ahead of time for these other events for the next year. Sure. I know some events that I've gone to wait forever to decide who, you know, like who they're going to have come or what whatnot. And like you said, sometimes I have... I'm booked way ahead and I'm going, I got to know now. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely, I get some events and throughout the year that say, Oh, this is so great. What you do, you know, can you come, can you like come to either like our fair or um, an event that they have going? It's like, I, you know, I would love to tell you. Yes. <laughs> I mean, sometimes I, I got to know at least a year in advance um, just due to conflicting schedules of previous competitions or events that I do, you know, year yearly. Right. Well, that was cool that you got to bring your son with. I know I've talked to some carvers that 
say they can focus better when they don't have their family there, but sometimes I like to bring them with. I think it's fun to have them around. Yeah, no, I, I this is my first time bringing Cooper with me, and the reason I was able to do it is Chris Hubbard, he had his wife Bree there, and so she's like, you know, no problem with your carving, I can take care of, uh, I can kind of watch over Cooper, and, you know, Chris had his kids there as well, which Cooper was completely in love and just enjoying the time with them, so it, it allowed me to kind of relax a little bit, see that I'm, you know, broken neck syndrome, you know, constantly looking for him, sees uh, Cooper's very much like me. And so he wanders and gets distracted by, you know, a, a leaf that will get blown across the yard. <laughs> so it was right. it was so funny because it was the first time I got to take him. Uh, it's unfortunate I don't really have uh, the help that I can bring with me to, to watch him. Um, but it was just so fun because we got to have that experience. And it was at the Balloon Fiesta, which you're, you know, you're watching hundreds of balloons going up. And uh, he was a trooper. He really was. You know, we're getting up at 5, 5.30 in the morning. Um, and then we're out until 10 o'clock at night. So, and he, right. yeah, he totally was a trooper and I loved having him with me. I can't wait till he gets older where he can maybe be a little bit more, uh, you know, interactive with me and Carmen. Um, maybe it helped me at some of the events. So I look forward to that. Um, I just, I hope, you know, I hope it doesn't come too, too soon. I know. I know how that feels. Um, my kids have gotten to the point where they know certain places and they have, you know, Carver friends from different parts of the country. And they're like, Oh, like, are these kids going to be there? Right. Or is this family going to be there? And it is fun when you know, um, cause you, then you kind of have help. Like you said, when everybody's at the event together and yeah, there's different yeah, families the helping houses out houses and everything they can, you know, interact. And it, it, it takes the stress off you for sure. I mean, if I had to do that with Cooper by myself, I, I never would have done as well. <laughs> right, yeah, you'd be really distracted. Right. So how do you decide what competitions and events to attend? It's always tough to tell, especially if you haven't been there before. Yeah, um, a, a lot of the events, the competitions that I do are either um, they're hand-picked, so it's an invitation-only type event. They're some of the events I've been doing for, for years now, so it's just I... I get invited every year to kind of go back. I mean, obviously you have shows like Reedsport where you apply to um, and wait to, you know, obviously see if you get in. But mm-hmm. I try to, you know, as terrible as I am with social media, social media is definitely not my friend. Um, social media is the best way to, for carvers that are wanting to compete, you know, a little bit more and more, um, keeping everything posted and everything new. Because a lot of those shows and the organizers, you know, they're on Facebook. They're looking to see who the new guys are, you know, who's this, but I guess deciding it helps if I'm, uh, how far it is, what the prize money is, you know, do they pay for a hotel? Um, what do they take care of? You know, I, I guess just, you know, is, is it worth it financially um, mm-hmm. to, to attend that event? I mean, there's events that I would love to go to um, over back East, but by the time I either get a flight, get all my tools over there or drive all the way over there, you know, you're, you're pretty neck deep into uh, just getting there. And then there's no guarantees of obviously how much money you make. Um, of course, it helps to have inventory, but I, as most people know, I'm not one to uh, carry a significant amount of inventory with me at any time. Sure. I know one thing that I don't know how many people travel out there, but it's nice on the West Coast how they have events almost every weekend, like hopping up the coast. That- that is a huge help. Um, you know, 
the way that it's looking, you know, for next year, I have four competitions that are going to be all week after week after week after week, which is great. Um, you know, you don't have to go home, unload, spend another week and a half waiting or, you know, longer. Um, so obviously we have the re-sport competition that goes on Father's Day weekend. The weekend following is Ocean Shores. The weekend following is Cedar Woolley. And then I always have a, a week off after that, part, um, after the Cedar Woolley, and I take that time to usually go to Southern California and, you know, kind of rest my body up. And then as soon as sure. I get back, I have another set of two or three events that are just all back to back. And having that's really great. Um, it just, like I said, it, it makes the summer go by pretty quick, but, you know, it's, it's man it's it's i love having events that are just so so quick next to each other yeah and it really helps like you said when you're trying to figure out financially because i know carvers that travel to the west coast from the east coast because they can hop from event to event and make it kind of worth their while right yeah there's and there's you know there's a couple carvers that did it this year brandon wilson i believe was one of them from you know from vermont and he drove with yeah. his camper all the way over and he spent I want to say that kid spent at least a solid four months over here uh, right. just jumping from event to event, you know, Carver's. I know he went to a couple of Carver's houses, did some work. He drove all the way up into Alaska to go do an event. <laughs> it's, yeah. he's, he's put some serious miles on him. There's some guys that, that, that can do that, which is awesome. Um, yeah, we were, I was watching and I'm like, I don't think he's ever going to go home. Right. <laughs> I was starting to ask him. I was like, "Hey, you know, you you get to move over here to the West Coast. And you certainly spend a lot of time out here." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, what is your process for preparing for competitions? Like, what do you do if you're going to go to a competition to to get ready? My my preparation now is, um, and I, I might be answering kind of maybe another question that you might have for this as well. But my preparation is a few different things. Um, I've kind of stopped uh, doing the whole, I guess, typical typical style of competition carving where you have, you know, bears, birds, um, some people carvings or some human figures um, and other things like that where I've kind of ventured off and I've had some, you know, push along the way from inspiration with other carvers, a little push towards a different direction and style. So I guess preparation for me would be coming up with this idea or um, that I want to do at an event. And what I'll do is I look up sculptures, different drawings, uh, different mediums, mediums of work that, that are kind of close to the form or the figure that I want to do. Um, and then I go through a, a, a program on my tablet that kind of allows me to create a 3D image, I guess you could say, and it kind of allows my brain to work and kind of picture myself blocking this out. How much time do I have to do it? Um, the type of wood, obviously, you know, like I said, that'll take up time. But uh, preparation is definitely re research. Um, that's a big majority of it, finding that subject and learning that subject, and that breaks it down from the skeleton structure to the muscles. And then, you know, finally the texture detail work, whatever's on the on the outside, whether that be fur, skin, um, scales. Um, 
So definitely cannot research enough when you're think you got enough uh, images or stuff to look at, get some more. Right. I know I, I think I've talked about this before too, but I love pulling from other art forms <laughs> um, just to bring in new ideas and stuff. I use an app at school with my students that they 3D sculpt on, and then um, they're actually able to 3D print it. I've, I've seen some and, stuff on that, and that's I, uh, it's really, really cool. Um, yeah. As far as uh, we just talked about it, as for technology-wise, uh, it doesn't agree with me whatsoever, but having this, this app has been a huge learning curve, but it's definitely allowed me to uh, really break down the carving, almost to where you've carved it before, but, you know, you did it uh, through your tablet or anything like that, but at least it gives you, the, it shows you this blocking form, working in silhouettes, I think helps a lot. Um, yeah, and it's it's nice too to be able to kind of sculpt it out or block it out on the app anywhere that you are, even if you don't have like oil-based clay with you or, you know, something else to work right. with. Right. I, I tell people, I've had some people ask me before, it's like, well, how, how do you do uh, one, I think a good trait of mine is being able to block out very quickly. Um, and I get that all the time. And, uh, I tell people all the time, just work in silhouettes or work in a silhouette form. Um, you know, so if you're carving an eagle, find those straight lines that you could use. And then it's, it's a step-by-step process. Uh, so if you work one side and turn the piece, work on that side, you'll see a form come out extremely quick. Um, and also, I mean, of course, that comes with experience as well and doing it a few times. Um, but I tell people all the time, just if you can find a picture where you can see a silhouette perfectly from a side or anything, just draw that on if you have to, if you require drawing, draw that on and then turn it again and draw the other side. And from there, it should be able to just kind of fall into place. Sure. I mean, if, if, uh, if you've seen Mark, which well, you've seen Mark Colt do speed carving before at Quick Cars and I mean that guy's yeah. that guy is amazing, and you watch him carve, right. and it's so effortless. Um, he knows every every single cut he's making. He's always five to you know ten steps ahead of himself and what he needs to do ahead of time. Mm-hmm. So we've talked a little bit about you carving more like creatures and monsters and stuff from your childhood. Where did the inspiration for that come from, or how did you get started with that? I, I guess the biggest push for me into that direction um, was uh, Chris Foltz. And Chris Foltz and I are, are really close, and actually him and I only live about 24 miles away from each other. Um, but I'll never forget the words that Chris told me, you know, because he had also a secondary job that obviously helps financially, and, you know, you don't have to you know, sometimes sell your last bear for almost nothing. Just you can kind of get by for a brief period. Right. Um, but Chris told me, you know, he, he stopped carving what everyone else was doing and, and carved for himself. And which I took mm-hmm. to heart very well. I was like, okay, so if I, what, you know, if finally, I guess, what would I do if, it, if I could just carve anything, if I didn't have to worry about the piece selling or how to move it or, anything of that, you know, what, what would I do? And I went back to, you know, obviously my kid who's totally in love with like sharks, reptiles, creatures, um, reminded me of me as a kid. And that took me back to, you know, I, I, vis- I would visit my uncle in Southern California all the time. And he's a, uh, 
uh, Imagineer for Disney, and he sculpts and paints all these all the different characters in Disneyland. Okay. So as a kid, we would build models, um, whether that be dinosaur models, old sci-fi movies like Light Lost in Space, uh, Frankenstein, um, Creature from the Black Lagoon, and all these Universal monster movies and old classic monsters. And that's always had a very close place in my heart. And so thinking about that, is I, I would love to carve, you know, a dinosaur, or I would love to carve Creature from the Black Lagoon, which I haven't done yet. But at some point here, I think very soon that will happen. Um, and just all, all these different creatures or mythical creatures or, you know, something, something so small that you can fit in the palm of your hand, put, you know, build that into an over life-size uh, sculpture. And for me, I get so much joy out of that because when I get to put all the love I have into that single piece, and I've, I've come to find out that it's actually, it's kind of been my niche. Um, I have, I've yet to have an issue selling one of my creature pieces. Um, I, I did, a, I think my first attempt at starting in this creature realm or form, I guess, was I did a Medusa in Reedsport. And I was way in over my head, I think, <laughs> kind of from the beginning. Um, never really done a whole lot of uh, human figures or human forms. And it turns out a woman's body is, is very difficult to achieve. And yeah, you know, yeah. trying to find the anatomy, the way the arms work, and you know, all, the, all the different sections of the body, it's just trying to make that look feminine is, is extremely hard, especially on a woman's face. So I spent so much time on the body doing all this. The uh, From the waist down, obviously, was, was a snake, and that came out easy and came out pretty great. But then doing the hair and then the hands, I, I got so overwhelmed. But when the piece sure. was done, it, she was 13 and a half feet tall. Uh, and she looked good from afar, kind of, kind of far from good, but she, she, you could tell <laughs> what it was. And all of a sudden, you know, this guy asked me and he wanted to buy it. So, of course, you know, I was definitely happy to get rid of it because I didn't know what I was going to do with it. And then that following year, um, I carved uh, Boris Karloff Frankenstein, which was a big step for me and another human form. It was pretty square. It was, it was pretty stagnant. There's no movement to it or anything. But I guess there's not a whole lot of movement to Frankenstein, I guess, as it is. It's pretty rigid. Right. Um, but he was standing up. It was based off of the, like, the 1954 um, Son of Frankenstein, I believe. Uh, with the big woolly vest, this, that classic Boris Karloff Frankenstein face. And I, I would print off all these images together and trying so hard to just really replicate that and uh, ended up achieving that. And it didn't, I, I remember it didn't place, but man, I, I was, I, I loved it. It looked so cool. <laughs> and uh, of course, I had all my friends from Southern California that do, you know, they create a lot of models and old monster stuff. They all fell in love with it. And so I had, I actually had that piece for a while. And at the time I had a neighbor who wasn't really very fond of, uh, of, of me, I guess. <laughs> so I placed that <laughs> directly over kind of her house where my house sit. And it would look down into her kitchen and she hated it. She, she would tell me all the time, <laughs> you need to, 
move that car. I mean, it's disturbing. And I don't like seeing it at night. It was like, oh, that's just all the better. <laughs> I left it there for as long as I could. Um, but eventually took it to California and I sold it to a um, kind of like a, a circus um, uh, carnival, carnival company called like Big Bear. And now it sits in front of their haunted mansion ride. And it gets seen by over a million people a year now. It's just, it's so cool to me. It's oh, that's a good spot. It's, it's, it was such a great spot for it. And yeah. So having that happen, that's really inspired me to get going into these creature forms. Um, I did a couple of years where I kind of went back to the animals because I, I wanted to sell them, I think, for better prices. Sell, the, sell some carvings for better prices. And yeah. um, then I was at... Uh, Reedsport last year, I did the first raptor. Um, and oh my gosh, the thing was <laughs> the form, the, the movement on it was just pristine. And you know, I get a lot of inspiration from my kid. He kind of, Cooper tells me a lot of times what I need to carve. Um, sure. But that raptor, that first one, it did so good. Um, if I remember, I think it placed uh, like third place overall, um, People's Choice and Carver's Choice. And so to me, it was cool. totally on cloud nine. Um, you know, having that many carvers in Reedsport, like you know, is, there's 40 to 45 carvers a year. Um, so to have that happen and get voted for Carver's Choice, you know, and these are still all my peers. Like, you know, I'm still, you know, just barely, or I'm not even 30 yet. Um, and I've been growing up in this carving world now for about 15 years. So to, all these people, you know, that were, that I idolized when I was a kid. Now, you know, you have that, uh, that kind of respect and they, you know, you get looked up, you know, you get looked up upon um, and people come to you for information or they want, you want your advice. And it's such, such a great feeling, which is to me, I'm, you know, I'm honored for that. So to have definitely all my peers and everybody kind of vote for something that, that important was very, very humbling, I guess. Um, yeah, it's so cool when everything kind of comes together like that, like your vision and your passion mm -hmm. and yeah, it just all kind of comes into place at a certain point. Right. And it's really neat too to hear how it, it goes all the way back to when you were a kid, you know, creating those those smaller scale models and stuff yeah, and, I, and how that followed you. Yeah, definitely. I love doing that. It's it's it kind of keep it keeps me I mean, not that I'm old, but <laughs> it keeps my art young, I guess. And uh, now yeah. I'm doing the same thing with, with my son. You know, we've been putting together um, these models, and we're currently working on um, the Nautilus from 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea that we're putting together, okay. and we're getting ready to kind of uh, get ready to start priming the parts and everything, get ready for paint. And so to me, that just it means so much, because I remember my uncle doing that with me, and in my in my head it was so iconic it was so huge to me and making all these crazy things that nobody else i knew did and then you know, getting to do that with my kids just it's that's kind of wild i guess looking at the mirror image but outside looking in i guess right um, i know my son always tells me what i should carve too but then the problem is that he wants to keep them all yeah <laughs> I'm like, no, you can't have. <laughs> yeah, we love it, and so it's it's so much fun. And so, like I said, now he's he's got this insane imagination, and uh, you know, he talks about I don't I don't know 
where he gets some of it. it kinda, <laughs> I don't know where he gets this information. He came to me, it was about a couple months ago, and he's been telling me I got a card to crack it. I was like, okay. I was like, actually, I, I like that idea, pal. I was like, we could definitely do that. He's like, but not yeah. just the Kraken. It's got to be a robot Kraken from outer space. Where do you come up with this? How? how, how in the... Yeah, there's a lot going on there with the Kraken, the robot, and, and the, the outer, outer space. space. And so we've talked, and you know, I'm trying to still somehow penetrate his brain in some way to figure out what exactly what it is he's talking about. And, from there, and you yeah. know, at night when he goes to bed, I'll get on my iPad. Like I said, Google Images is my is my best friend. Um, yeah. I think I, as I think it should be for any carver. If it's not your best friend, it needs to be. Mm-hmm. And I look up bronze sculptures. I are I think my biggest ones because I I love the way that bronze sculptures are. Everything's just so over exaggerated from muscle tones to, um, you know, just the forms itself, it, and it's so dynamic, and it, it really puts a big impression on you. Um, so for me, that's instantly where I start. So if he wants me to do a cracking, first thing I'll do is I'll Google cracking bronze sculpture, see what that, see where that'll lead me to. Um, yeah. And then uh, as I kind of think, I'm like, okay, now how about like a robot octopus, or how, how can I think of that? And um, eventually came up with this plan, and I'm sure probably. I think next year I'll use it somewhere uh, once I kind of narrow it down to the details and everything. But we have this, and I have this idea of a steampunk type style, a cracking octopus looking thing. Um, you know, all, all gears and I guess metal parts. <laughs> so cool. Just come up with these ideas. It's just, it's so unique. And then, then it goes, of course, into the competitions where it's, it's you, you haven't seen one before. Um, and then if you, obviously if you execute it right, it's, you know, you'll never forget it, which to me is, I think the most important, um, I could kind of care less about winning so much because it's, I mean, I do care about it. I'm very, probably overly competitive, but, um, (laughs) having that piece that everybody's going to remember the most, I think to me is more important. Um, and I've been very lucky the last seven competitors, the seven events between Reedsport and Cedar Woolley taking people's choice. It's that to me, I, I laugh about it all the time. Um, because it's four years in a row for people's choice now in Reedsport, which I know it's my hometown, I know it sounds you know a little favorited, but uh, it's only been the last four years, and so to me, that's been a huge honor. And then same in uh, Cedar Woolley. Cedar Woolley this year, I, was, this was my third year taking People's Choice in a row. And so for me, that yeah. that just means, that tells me that I'm doing something right. Um, that I'm doing something that people are coming to, they're seeing, and, they, and they're not going to forget it. Um, uh, this year, I think so far, I think probably my favorite carving too is uh, uh, I carved blue from Jurassic World and Cedar Woolley this year. And and okay. I've got blue all over. She's she's plastered all over my Facebook. Um, I've got I had uh, somebody sent me a ton of posters. I have like over two hundred or three hundred posters of of this blue, and <laughs> it's it's cool. And she's it looks so good. And I'll never forget uh, how it even came about. Too. She's going to carve another raptor because I, I had an order for one from a dinosaur park, and every kid that went by 
you know, even with music on, I can hear kids screaming, oh my God, it's, it's blue, mom, it's blue, dad, it's blue. <laughs> and at the time I didn't have a blue stripe on it. It was still working out the scales and the texture work. Uh, yeah. And I kept thinking, I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> if I don't put a blue stripe on this thing, kids are going to, they're going to riot. And uh, right. I had to borrow some paint from um, Mark Harrington, some yeah, navy blue and metallic blue. And once yeah. I got that on there, airbrushed uh, some white striping and everything, and it just it it came alive. And it was one of the proudest moments for me. Um, just uh, it was way over the top. I don't even remember really taking a break from the competition and even just go walk around and see what everyone else is doing. I was so fixated on what I was doing, uh, nothing to distract me. Which again, that just goes right back into that. That's, just 100% love that went into it. And when you have that, yeah. you know, your sculptures are going to come out so amazing. Um, and as everyone that I compete with knows, I'm such a texture oriented person. Um, it, it, everyone's just laughing at me. So I'll do this, that circle, uh, this, those circle dots that I have for, for doing all the scaling. I'll spend five yeah. hours on a head, just making sure all the scales are in there. And it's, it's takes so long to do, but, like it's it's so right. cool to look at, and when you look at it from afar, up close, you just got all this texture. It it blends and it works so perfectly with all the you know dinosaurs or reptiles or anything else that you're really doing that can take that kind of work. I love it when I I get in that creative zone that a lot of artists get in, where you like forget to eat, forget to sleep, forget to notice, you know, like you said, other things that are going on around you because you're just so invested in what you're right. doing. That's the best. Like you said, that's when you do just that's, phenomenal. That's work. when you really shine. And I've seen it in other carvers too. Um, uh, Jacob Lucas and Bruno Wilson, I think kind of did that for me. Um, Cedar William, Jacob Lucas, he carved this amazing, almost like a Chinese dragon. And I was I was so impressed because um, he he put some serious love into that thing also, and then Brandon Wilson this year, you know, him and I are kind of doing this whole dinosaur theme thing. And we actually him and I were talking. He's like, we need to collaborate on the dinosaur and make it really bitching or cool. Yeah. Cool. Um, and uh, but you know that piece that he did, he did this big Spinosaurus in Reedsport this year, and it was so cool looking. Um. And it's also cool for me because when I do other dinosaurs, you know, I've got my unique style, I guess you could say, that I have. And then seeing somebody else that I can actually physically look at the carving and look and see how he does things or where he puts muscles or how he adds, you know, shoulder blades or anything else like that. It, I guess it kind of gives me some other ideas. And, oh, you know, I could I could try this. Um, it just constantly changes, right. you know, your carvings are changing, you're not improving. But it's just, I, yeah, I love seeing everyone else's creative side, and I think it's it's getting more popular too. Everyone's starting these to do more unique carvings, um, you know. And it's not just you know in a wildlife competition. Um, obviously, now you have lamination process. You know, guys are attaching limbs and body parts and um, getting outside of the round log, and it creates way more dynamic pieces. Um, which I think yeah. is just awesome. Um, you know, uh, I carve with Bob King a lot and competition wise. And, you know, I, I think this also goes on a lot of like judging criteria and stuff like that. 
but you know there's the change from the style of Bob where it's very the, the cuts are very intricate there's always these plunge cuts negative space and then my pieces I'll be the first to tell you I don't, I don't like doing negative space cuts I really I really don't I think it takes up a lot of time and if you can cut those corners to make something look just as nice with more texture and finish work I think to me I think that looks better but then again, if you take that yeah. into judging but I think uh, like even like in one of your other podcasts we could we could talk about judging for hours and hours um, yes we could <laughs> but <laughs> I think a lot of us could yeah, oh yeah definitely but I think for me I like that one single piece that one unit that one there that one form that you can just look at really narrow it down put it all the detail that you can possibly pack into it um, and make it perfect. Um, I'll remember someone told me is basically if you can dissect a piece, carve everything, finish it, and then put it all together, you have a perfect form. Rather than if you're trying to carve something that's got negative space, you got to clean out through it, spend all that time making it look good. Wouldn't it just be easier just cut that off, form it? Um, detail it and then put it back on there's no flaw there's no you know you don't have to worry about overcuts you don't have to worry about you know can you get a die grinder can you get a die grinder and to fix it or clean it up right to fit mm -hmm. in there so for me personally I, I, and that's I know too one time I was at a competition and I was climbing up and down scaffolding and like you said trying to get into tight spaces and I looked over and um Kodama had cut his piece all up and, you know, brought it to like a comfortable working level. And like you said, he carved each piece and then put it all back together. Yeah. And I was like, I'm an idiot. Well, you know, I don't think there's so much like that. I mean, there's people that can do that. Uh, yeah. Dennis Roguer was um, one of them that he would start carving from scaffolding all the way at the top. And carve it down, not just like block it, carve it down, go up, detail right. it. He would literally like he wasn't it. going up yeah, and down. Yeah, he would carve the whole subject, that one set of scaffolding, then go down, carve that whole section, go down, and when he hit the bottom, he was done. Um, I can. I've seen him do that. <laughs> I could. I would. I would be so, so screwed on carvings if that's the way I did things. Uh, yeah, I can't do that. I think also my ADD goes jump and bouncing around and I can't sit in one spot carving for I've got to right. go work on something else and then work on something else, come back to that. Um, but definitely I mean, you can attach things and put them up into its proper place. You know, I do the same thing when I do like the, when I have to add the rafter tails or uh, I've, at least I've done that a lot this year is I'll carve the rafter tail. I'll mock it up onto the body to where it's really close and then pull it back down, mm -hmm. put it in the jaw horse, and I'll detail it and finish it top to bottom. And then get that uh, Gorilla glued on, laminated and everything. Um, and then once the glue dries, just sand off that specific area. And then detail it back in. And, blend, and you can blend it perfectly, especially if you got some um, cool scaling textures and everything like that. It helps kind of hide that seam. Um, rather right. than obviously having something purely sanded, you can kind of see that hard line. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it helps so much because then you're not sitting up on scaffolding, you know, put a block on the raptor body and then try to carve it, you know, glue it, carve it all the way down. Then you're up in scaffolding, detailing, holding the die grinder in weird positions. 
Right. I know. I couldn't believe I didn't figure that out sooner, but when, when I saw it done, I'm like, oh, that's the way. So, yeah, it makes it so easy. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so this next question, I think you pretty much answered it, but I'll I'll just ask it and you can decide. So I just had most artists at some point want to develop their own unique personal style, and uh, I was just wondering where you're at on this journey. So you talked about it a little bit with you know, moving towards creatures and monsters and things from your childhood, but do you have anything else to say well, about I, that? You know, obviously not everybody's, you know, um, inspiration or personal styles could have gone the same direction as mine, obviously. But I think yeah. it's kind of discovering, you know, who you are as an artist and w- what is it that you want to achieve? Are you wanting to achieve this ultra-realism um, or you want to be so perfect at like the human forms, you know, Kodama is definitely one of them. I think, you know, I see him on Facebook when he goes back home and he's doing all these woman figures. Uh, he did the, I think you, you might've seen it. The, uh, the woman face with like the veil over it and it looked like it, yeah. you could see the face perfectly clear, but he was able to achieve that veil look over the face. And right. In my mind, I'm going, <laughs> Not a chance. There's absolutely no way. One, because I think that's also just, that's not my style. Mm -hmm. So I think it's finding what, you know, what is your style? For me, I've, I finally discovered that it's, it's doing these creatures or doing these very unique animals and stuff that has lots of texture, um, stuff that I can, I can burn in multiple different layers, texture layers, um, and so for me, obviously, that's that's kind of the route that I'm starting to put, really push myself in. And what you discover is that it's like, this is your happy place. You know, this is where you want to do it. And, you know, guys that want to carve Bigfoots all the time, you know, there's you know, guys that do amazing Bigfoots. I hate doing them. I've done them. I don't, I don't like doing them. Yeah. But then you can't put the love into it. And so I think find, find that personal style. And then also, of course, does that personal style, does it work financially for you? Um, there's obviously carving monsters and and uh, dinosaurs and reptiles, all this stuff. That's not something that everybody is gonna want, um, right? So I think for me, is you know you can kind of test the waters or do it when you don't need to, or you know, like I said, if it but if it works financially for you, that you you can do that, and then you find find that type of clientele. Um, it just keep building it, I guess. Um, but I just find that. Yeah, just looking for that unique style. What you know, what what brings you up, or what wakes you up every morning? What do you look forward to doing? You know, do you love do you love going out hunting? Um, you know, that can be somebody obviously that just loves doing different wildlife or bears. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, who knows? It can be. I mean, like I said, that that form could be anything. Um, but like I said, for me, it's just I I love that fantasy, that sci-fi of these these monsters creatures and dinosaurs and uh sharks they're just they drive me and when i do one when i carve one then i i want to do another one i want to do another one um and then like i said then you got to look at it from a business standpoint can you sell them (laughs) yep sure so and my last question i was going to ask you a little bit about kind of where you find inspiration Mm -hmm. And you talked some about Google Images, yeah. um, bronzes, uh, 
Is there anywhere else that you pull inspiration from, or are there any certain artists that you like to you know, look I'm at? Actually, I'm very terrible about learning artists' names. Um, I did a, uh, um, where I, I think I pull a lot of images or I kind of find reference points to is um, Stan Winston School of Character Arts. Um, I did I did a few okay. of their classes and on on sculpting. And it was it was mostly for like maquette stuff, um, building masks and stuff. Uh, but I, I think with looking at their what other artists have done and then taking it and how can I interpret that? What what is it that I see? You know, they may have um, if you're wanting to do some kind of like say like an, a nautical uh, ocean creature like the um, lock, we'll just say like Loch Ness. Um, I'll look up all these different sculptures from other artists and how they interpret it. Whether it's got um, this long you know, type of like antenna, like a, well, oh, just long, long hair. Does it? Have, what kind of scaling does it have? What What I tell people, mm -hmm. even when they order custom carvings, I pick and choose the things that I love. Um, so if it's got this real nice rounded scale texture, is it got a diamond shaped scale texture? Um, I, I I search for those, and and that kind of just pulls everything together into one piece where I can develop it and bring that into my own. Um, so like I said, Google images to me is just always my, my go-to, um, also a lot on Pinterest. Um, I love, I love searching through Pinterest and seeing like the comic book stuff, the, like I said, that pulls that just all muscle details. Um, but definitely Pinterest is great too, because you can keep it all yeah. organized and keep boards of different oh, yeah. things. I, Pinterest is, is one of my favorites. Um, I'm terrible about saving them, but I always just quickly, you know, take that screenshot and I save it into my phone. Uh, like I said, yeah. right now with uh, my the tablet and being able to kind of draw these uh, images or whatever it is I, I want to sculpt, that kind of that helps me. And when you start drawing it, it helps with your form. Um, and like I said, just just really digging into the research of of that subject. Um, that it'll make a huge difference. And like I said, that goes all the way down to the bone structure, bone structure, the muscle tone, uh, to, like I said, that final detail. Um, but definitely, the, I think the biggest inspirations all just kind of come from online sources um, and and handful of comics that I have here at the house. So <laughs> I'll go through them all the way. Sure. Um, but definitely. Well, I like that idea of kind of pulling a bunch of stuff from all different places. That's, that's kind of what I have my students do too, or, and, or what I do. Like I'll get just a, almost like an image board of all these different things that inspire mm -hmm. me and then combine it. And then like you said, it's your kind of interpretation of different things that, that you look yeah, at. How do you see things? You know, and I, I see, you know, logs and I want to do, you know, zombies and these real creepy hands. Um, it, just like I said, that fairy tale sci-fi sci type stuff. That's that's what really I want to do. I would love to do it daily. I wish that I, I, I wish more than anything I didn't have to carve another bear in my life. Um, <laughs> but unfortunately, everybody does love bears. Um, but yep. yeah, definitely pull. I think Cooper too. Cooper is definitely a huge inspiration. It's like I said, I, I he plays with all of his sharks and everything that he has, and he tells these stories as he's playing with them. And, you're listening to him. You're like, what world are you on right now? And 
Right. <laughs> what are you thinking about? And so listen to him and him telling me things. We because we talk a lot and you know what, what do you what should dad carve? You know, and he wanted me to carve the crocodile that I did this year in Reedsport. And when I when I did it, he he saw it all finished up. He was like, "Oh my gosh, it's it's huge!" <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So he loved it. He was hanging in its head on its head and you know walking around and sitting on it and everything. He he thought it was just a cool thing. And I think you know doing that where I get to see my son completely go ballistic and lose his mind um, just at some of the sculptures. I mean, he loves seeing all the dinosaurs. That's his favorite thing. Yeah. Every, every once oh, in a while, we'll go down to the prehistoric gardens where uh, the raptor blue I carved where she's at now. And so we go down there, and he just he loves it. And so I think, mm-hmm. you know, when I get to see that on, on his side and all the smiles on, any, on anybody's faces, really, it, it tells me that's you know I'm on the right track, uh, right? And uh, I, I love fun. I love seeing everyone just point, laugh, smile, and it, that's huge. I think that that and that makes you want to do more stuff like that, which again inspires you to do other things. So yeah. So is there anything else that we didn't cover that you want to talk about? I, you know, I'm, I'm sure I could probably think of things completely off topic. Um, I know, right? We could go on I, for hours. I know personally, I, I can end up talking a lot about like textures um, and how texture work is so important for me. Um, but again, that's, it, that's, that goes right back into your question. Kind of about, uh, uh, finding your unique personal style. Um, you know, Bob, Bob King and I have talked multiple times on pieces that you have to sand that are completely smooth. When you say, say like whales, <laughs> guys that come and carve yeah. whales all the time, I, I look at it and go, that is so, too much sanding. I, I envy uh-huh. you for all the sanding that you do. <laughs> and for me, I can do that. But then again, you know, the same thing happens um, where I've had people come up to me and just say, you love torturing yourself, don't you? And it's like, yeah, I actually do. I, you know, I, <laughs> I have, um, oh my gosh, I think I have about eight or nine die grinder setups um, that I'll use mm-hmm. kind of throughout the day. Um, obviously, I don't always have to use them all at once, but man, they are nice to have if you need them. I wanted to give a shout out to uh, Makita, Makita USA for, for their sponsorship. Um, having their tools on my side, on my bench, uh, and saws, that is just a huge advantage. Um, and I definitely appreciate everything that they have done for myself and Bob. Um, so yeah, <laughs> get that little plug. Right. Every, yeah. Everyone's torture is different, right? Everybody thinks something different is oh, torturous. Yeah. I mean, that guys <laughs> that love doing, uh, all even just fur work. I mean, it can be so tedious, and um, whether or not if you make it flow and everything. I mean, I people that love painting. Oh my gosh! If you if you're a painter, you're a painter on carvings. You you yeah. are my hero. <laughs> <laughs> well, you you do a lot of painting. You do. Um, I've seen you do quite a bit, like on your wolves and stuff, and it looks so great yeah. too. And I love I love seeing it, but I'm just like, mm, that's not for me. Um, Yep, not, don't want to do it. I mean, even the spray paints, um, I've actually recently discovered um, that touch-up solution that Bob sells. And, oh, my okay. gosh, it comes in such a variety of color stains. And 
you know, if you use that, like uh, the Minwax, those aerosol spray cans, um, if you've used it before, you know, if you get too close, man, that thing runs like water. And yeah. these, uh, this touch-up solution stuff, man, it, it's almost just like paint, but it's so translucent. You can go real light. You can go over it a couple times, give it more uh, bolder colors. And it's mostly all, you know, like uh, wood tones. It's not so much like colors. But man, right. that helps so much, even especially like with like the wider woods, like the pine or the spruce or anything. Having those uh, those colorations, and if you're if you're good about like uh, uh, layering different colors, layering kind of uh, wire brush or or wire wheel some of it off, put on another layer. Mm-hmm. Uh, it helps so much with the colors and making things pop, finding the shadows just right. Um, I mean, that, that stuff has been one of my new fawn favorites, and I'm sure Bob loves me because I think my last purchase was like something like $200 in spray cans. <laughs> and uh, I'm about due for another another big box as well. Yeah. So, yeah, again, we can talk about tools. We can talk about all that stuff for hours. Yeah. No, this has been great. I think we had a good conversation. That was fun. I appreciate you. Everything you're doing on this podcast is awesome, actually. Yeah. Um, on my way back from New Mexico, I listened to the, all the episodes and everything. It's it's awesome because I think we, we've been needing this for a long time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Chainsaw Carving Podcast. Be sure you go and check out all of our other episodes. And if you like the podcast, make sure and rate it wherever you're listening to the podcast. And be sure to share it with friends on social media. If you have any suggestions for the podcast, you can email me at wistywoodworks at gmail.com. Um, welcome to hear about improvements we can make and or if you have ideas for who we should interview next. Thanks again today for to Ryan for being willing to be on the podcast and have some great discussion. See you next time.